Welcome to the Mobile App Makers Podcast, the podcast where I interview mobile app creation experts from all disciplines so we can learn from them. Hello, everybody. Today, I'd like to welcome Robbie Ganguly. He's the CEO at Aptemptive, and I actually met him almost seven years ago now when he was in the first few years in building the company. And over the year, I've enjoyed seeing it grow and see how they're making progress on the market. And essentially, Aptemptive helped the world's largest consumer company reach out and listen to every customer every day. And one of the things that I enjoyed in the intro that Robbie sent me is that they're trying to make it so that this company hears from every customer, not just the one that speaks the loudest. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more, Robbie? Sure. Hello, my name is Roby. And uh, yes, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Aptentive. As uh, Olivia so aptly described, we really do help large brands listen to all of their customers. So you know, our whole point of view is that the more you proactively listen, the more you can learn and get better. So at Aptentive, you focus on helping those companies build apps that their customer love. Is there like an app that you really love? And could you tell us why? I have a lot that I use on a regular basis. I've been in the ecosystem for a long enough time that I've gotten really comfortable day-to-day regular basis. I'm using a lot on my phone. But one that's come into my use in the last year is an app called Paprika. Paprika like the spice. And it's a recipe app. And the reason I really love this app is that about a year ago, when we went into lockdown here in Seattle, my wife and I definitely started cooking a lot more. And we've always liked cooking, but we got more serious about cooking. And as a result, I started looking for apps. And I wanted something that I could use on my iPad in the kitchen, that we could use on our Android phones, that we could actually use on the laptops, because I wanted to actually have an app where we could put in our recipes, like our family recipes, because we have family recipe books. And I wanted something that would help me find recipes on the internet and save them. And that would allow me to kind of easily follow the instructions. And Paprika, after looking through about a dozen apps, it does all of these things. It syncs across all devices. It's really smart. It downloads recipes. So I don't know if you cook or look for recipes on the internet, but if you do... We do, we do. You find these ads all throughout these sites, right? And it's like 1,700 words where somebody's telling you their story. And I think it's a great story about all the stuff that's not the food. And so what Paprika does on those pages is if you find a recipe, like you can just click download and it strips out everything else aside from the instructions and the ingredients and saves it in. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so elegant and well done. And then Mm -hmm. it's really easy to add notes to, and it's very easy to organize and search through. So that app has just become something I didn't know about a year ago. It's something we use very frequently, probably several times a week. And it's a paid app. And I love giving them money because you pay for each install you have on each Android device or iPad. And it just makes perfect sense. So uh, that's a great app. I love it. What do you think was their goal in building this app? You know, the team actually talks about it on their, uh, their website and their blog. And I think they really are people who love to cook too. And they had similar problems to the problems I did, which is they wanted to store recipes themselves and write them in. But they also knew that there were a lot of other recipes out there that they wanted to capture and that they had multiple devices. So, you know, kind of like that set of problems they wanted to solve for were the same problems I was trying to solve for. And on the other end of the spectrum, do you have an app that you'd love to love, but it's just not there yet for some reason? There are so many, actually, that are kind of close, but not yet there, you know. But the one I'll talk about is Peloton. So 
like many other people here in the United States, the Peloton craze consumed our house. We actually got, my wife and I decided for Christmas in 2019 to buy ourselves one that we wanted to work out and be more regular about it. And so we did. And we've been using it a lot and can't say enough great things about the bike, the exercise, everything around it we think is awesome and we use it daily. But because we're on Android devices, our app is not at the same level that the iOS app is. So there are simple things that are not available in the Android version of the app. Like there's a notion of people you follow, like you, you can have the social network of people you follow and people that follow you. Well, in the Android app, you can't really find those people and then follow them. You have to go to the website in order to do that. On iOS, you're able to do that stuff. So as a result, you know, I know that I'm missing out and I'm not getting some of the features that are the same on iOS. And it, it's just a, you know, a little enough difference that I still use the app and I like it. But it could, it could be just a little bit you know, better if it was on par. And uh, it's also kind of frustrating because, ironically, the screen on the Peloton is an Android tablet. So the main, the main app that is running for the service is actually an Android tablet. But the Android phone app is behind. It's actually very interesting that you mentioned that difference of features between the iOS app and the Android app as being something that makes that you don't love it yet. Because there's so many founders that when they start, they wonder, should I do iOS and Android at the same time? Should the two be the same feature set on both sides? Is that really important or not? So it's great to get your perspective as a customer of, I feel somewhat frustrated that the iOS has some feature that the other one doesn't have. Yeah, and I think I understand prioritization and I understand why teams do it. And this was a small development shop. If it was you know, somebody in the early stages, I'd have more tolerance. But this is now Peloton, which is ginormous. And we know that they're growing rapidly. And this, it just feels like they're underinvesting on the Android side. So that's, that could be better. You know, one thing I was like, I figured since I have you here on the call, I would pick your brain. You know, as any good developers, I've got side projects that uh, go on. And the latest one that I started doing is a rock climbing app for fitness training. And right now I'm at the stage where, you know, I've got an early, I would say, MVP build where I can test and see if users are interested. And this is what I'm doing. And I was curious if you can walk me through what you think is the process of, you know, improving the app while listening to your customers and what can I do to make it great so my user can love it. And I know you don't know the specific app because you sent you the link, but I'm sure you haven't had the time to install it. But I'm curious what your what your advice would be on this. So I took a look and I was I decided that because we were going to talk, I didn't want to use the app before we went through this. Because I think I want to go through this process and then I want to use it and give you some feedback. So I'm curious what you think the core problem the app you have today is solving best because you must I'm, I'm guessing it's a side project because you have some interest in rock climbing yes you know i spent a lot of time in uh, seattle and i was an avid rock climber over there and that was pre-kids so that was back in the days when i could go to gym three times a week and train and climb at a pretty good level and today with kids and being further away from the rock climbing gym i actually can't go that often so i feel i don't climb as well and I was like, well, I should start training, like not just climbing, but literally do some physical fitness training so that I can improve. And one of the things that I noticed is, you know, the lack of motivation. Just, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't feel like doing it. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. How can I, how can I do this? 
And so that's the problem that I want to solve. And so how do you go about it? Like what, what approach did you take and what do you think people will do with the app as it is today to solve that problem? So the approach I took was to create OJO-based fitness training. The idea being that you can wake up or decide that you want to work out, just put your headset on and hit play. And you'll get a coach in your ears that tell you, okay, this is your workout for today. This is all the exercise that you have. And this is your first exercise. And then, you know, walk you through it, explains it. And as you progress through it, gives you a reminder about your form and that kind of stuff. Excellent. Okay. So your perfect path is somebody downloads the app and they get in there and realize pretty quickly that it's an audio coach for doing workouts related to rock climbing. These are exercises to get you more ready to be successful at rock climbing. So you've got different types of workouts too, right? So you, that's what you want people to do. Mm -hmm. So then I think where I would start is with the people who start using it, be in particular, right? If you're talking about 10, 50, 100 people, if they're people that you can contact and call and talk to like me, or if you use a service like ours that you know, maybe you ask a survey question or two, I'd be focused on, okay, did you get through this? Like the first step of listening to one of these workouts, did you understand? Did it make sense what I was trying to get you to do? You know, and if people tell you along the way that it wasn't clear to them or didn't make sense and they didn't get that aha moment of getting into what you thought was going to be good, you got to unpack that. And that, I mean, I, I see this over and over again, apps of all nature that don't really help you understand what you're supposed to do and they don't get you that aha moment. So I think that would be the first place I would start. But then assuming that a group of your customers is actually using it, you start looking for not just did you understand it, it's did you enjoy it? Did you really, what was it about it that, that you, you were drawn to that you liked? And so this is different, I think, sometimes from how people in the early stages will We'll go through and they'll say, okay, people are supposed to use it this way. They're not using it or they are using it. Here's these metrics and how do we, how do we funnel it? I think a lot of times people will, will say, okay, like let's go figure out all the problems. And I would say as soon as you have 10, 15, 20 people who are using it, be like, what, what is the thing that draws you in? Like, what are you really attached to? What are you, is something working there? And so, for example, if, again, with your app, if you're talking about 10 or 15 people who are like, oh, yeah, this is, this is great. Just honing out what's great about. It. Oh, I love the audio cues. Oh, I love the time. It's only 10 minutes. Oh, I love that there's this type of workout. Oh, I love the way that you express this thing and make it you know, reasonably coachable. Whatever it is, if you can pull out those themes and then say, okay, that's, that's a strength, you can build on that, right? Then your problems of maybe in the onboarding, not getting everybody to adopt, get to be solved when they get into that, oh, there's something here that's really awesome that I'm loving. And so you, you can build through that. And I would say, let's iterate through the lens of, okay, you're, you're early, right? You don't have to solve all of the problems. You don't have to go through the entire checklist of everything you want to do. If, if you are drawing out, this is what's interesting. This is what's exciting. This is what people love about it. That can, that can help a lot. What you're saying is super interesting. Like two things that I'd like to note is the first point that you made, like do people understand quickly when they, you know, install launch the app, what it is about. And now that I'm thinking back to the app, I'm like, I'm not sure they would actually get it. So I should go back to a drawing board on that screen. 
and then I really like your second point of saying, you know, try to get to what do users really love about your app, like get specific and then try to double down on those so that you can really get the most benefit out of it. This applies a lot in the early days, for sure, like your kind of app. But it also turns out to be really powerful for really big companies that have lots of people using their apps. It's just constantly this notion of like, where, where is it really good? Where am I helping you? What can I do? What can I feed? And I think that this approach, you know, it really benefits companies because in engineering and product and design, we're always kind of reinforcing a critical nature. And I think we're always looking at things and saying, what's wrong? What's missing? What's the bug? What's the edge case? And it's definitely really important for the experience. But it's not the reason why people come through. They don't come through because it's bug-free. They come through because it does something for them, you know, that it pulls in. So that kind of answer, but maybe not my question. So I still ask it. Does that mean that, you know, when you try to get that value that the user, the thing that the user really enjoy, do you also ask for what they don't like? Or do you try to focus on the positive? Well, we take sort of broadly as a company, we take an approach that if they don't love the experience they're having with you, whether it's a specific feature that they're using or it's the overall time spent, you should immediately, if you understand that they don't, you should immediately try to understand why. So as often as possible, when you ask this question, somebody says, nah, that experience wasn't great. No, I don't love this. Be really curious about the why, get that input, understand at that point in time. And you know, importantly, try to be as explicit about how or where it occurred. So I think that's how, in general, we take this approach as a company. But then the other piece of it is, you know, there's a different journey for your customers. Right? There's a different path. So the ones that are for you right now, the ones that are latching on and be like, hmm, this fills a void. This is really interesting. What you're trying to do with them is you're trying to say, I've struck a vein and what else is there and how big is this problem for them and what does it mean to solve it for them? And so you keep just kind of giving them a room to imagine. And it's not room to critique, right? There's a difference in the process of brainstorming where you're asking somebody, hey, well, you know, what's, what problems do you want me to solve? Or like, you know, how could this be easier? Or what, what's confusing here? Versus if you give them the, the freedom to imagine what else is, would be awesome for them. And so um, I think another technique here is you're getting a, a group of people and they're saying, oh, I love this because it's audio coaching and it's 10 minutes. I love this because like you, I'm a parent and this gives me 10 or 15 minutes that gets me into shape so that, you know, I only get to go climbing three times a year. And if I go climbing three times a year and I'm out of shape, I just don't go climbing. So this helps, right? Well, what, what does that mean? Then it means like maybe your customers are really like, just like you, they're super focused. They're parents. They want to do this thing. They need a schedule around going with other parents three times a year. Like then you get to understand the problem more deeply and imagine with them what that could look like. I really like the approach of focusing on the positive. Having worked at Microsoft for so long where, I mean, as you said earlier, as engineers, we tend to focus on the negative. So it's like, oh yeah, the positive might be even more important. Another question I had for you. So in the process of creating an app and getting that feedback, it means that that process becomes very iterative in a way, like you do it over and over, you get feedback, you improve, you get feedback, you improve. Do you have any advice or perspective on how you can make that process a little bit easier? Our whole business is predicated on the fact that the answer is ask, right? Like our whole point of view and the reason we exist in the world as a company is uh, you're making software. 
And because you're making software and it's connected to the internet, you have a, a big set of advantages that you can tap into. And the, the biggest advantage is you can be along that journey with your customers and then check in with them. Even if you're not there, you can automate the process of, of saying, hey, how's it going? The same way that if you were to go to a really great store that takes takes care of you and services you like in a, in a time when you can go to stores, of course. But when a, somebody is proactive and they're super helpful, it feels great. Well, you can do that in your software and you could do that automatically and you don't have to be there all the time. You could just really lightly check in. And so the iteration process of most companies in today's day and age is not using that opportunity enough. Most iteration processes, we see a combination of design, product, perhaps customer service, going to some customers, interviewing them, hypothesizing what the problems are, looking at complaints that come in from customers, and then saying, okay, we're going to prioritize the roadmap based upon some of the complaints, some of our gut feel about this, and then some of the corporate initiatives that are above us if we're at a big company or if we're a smaller team, some of the things that we think we want to do. And that process is not as informed as it could be because if you have people using your software and you're regularly without waiting for them to have a problem, without waiting for them to come talk to you, you're regularly checking in and say, hey, what's going on here? Could this be better? How do you like this thing? Is it confusing? Do you love this experience that you're going through? You could actually be soliciting way more proactively. You could be out in front. And then as a result, your iteration process and your roadmap starts to become a little bit more clear. And also your team's understanding of what's going on for your customers becomes a lot more clear. And so that iteration ends up looking just dramatically different because the flow of information that you're in is um, it's more representative. It's a lot more informed, I guess, at that point, since you have a lot more uh, feedback and information. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think one piece of this that I would, I would give demonstrable evidence around is I'm not talking about this generally. I also talk about it from like the math perspective. So for any given app that we see, right, and we have privy to large consumer brands. We've also worked with startups throughout our, our years. Like we've seen people launch apps on our platform. And for any of them, within sort of like six to 12 months, on average, companies hear from less than 1% of their customers. That's to say, if you have a 50,000 person app, that, that 50,000 people have downloaded it and 20,000 people a month are using it. Like it's been really well adopted from the people who downloaded it. Those 20,000 people left Less than 1% typically over the course of 12 months on their own will tell you something that's going on. They'll, they'll either email you, maybe they'll, if you have a Twitter account or maybe in the app store, they'll rate and review. Less than 1% will come to you and talk to you. But if you have those... And for those that are not great at math, that would be like 200 people. That's not much. It's 200 people. That's not many people, right? It's 200 people out of these 20,000. And then if you think about it, that 200... That group of 200 people setting potentially your entire roadmap or giving you whatever weight you give to that roadmap based on those problems. So what we tend to see mathematically is when you start reaching out, when you start touching people, you take that 200 to 2,000 easily, right? Because you're the one building the experiences and then you can design into it. Where do you want to ask these questions? You can get to 2,000 people. You can get to 10,000 people, you get to half the people. And then that flow of information, that's what I'm talking about. If you go from 200 to 
2000, that flow of information is so much richer, right? And it tells you so much more about the problems uh, that you start to think about it. Do you, and I'm sure there's customers that you can't name, but do you have like in your head an example of a company that really did a big U-turn thanks to that approach of getting more feedback and really getting more data about their customers' usage? We have endless stories on our, our site where customers will actually talk about this. But I, I, will, I will say a little bit more specifically. So we have a, a customer in the media industry and their media products are streaming products that are advertising supported. And of course, when you ask customers if they like advertising, customers say, no, I don't. I, I would rather not, right? And that's, that's always going to be true. We do have this nature in us to want free things, but not necessarily view the advertising as beneficial to us. And so that's always a place where they're going to get that feedback. But you know, this, this media company in particular was running ads of a certain length, like 15 to 30 seconds, in certain places in their app. And as a result of starting to collect feedback around the places that they were collecting or showing these ads and the amount of time that they lasted, they said, okay, well, the feedback around this is really negative, where we've placed these and how long they are. Then they started testing and said, well, what if we did shorter? And the shorter didn't matter. They, they found out that asking the, the feedback from customers again was short. It didn't matter. It was the placement that mattered. So what did they do? They moved all of these ads from in the middle of the video to the end or the beginning. And they communicated up front what they were doing. And then at the end, they said, hey, thanks. And please stay and check this out. And the view time of the ads at the end went up versus the view time of the ads and the show themselves when they're in the middle of the show. And so that was like, this is a place where just asking those customers and having a real conversation with them, not just looking at your metrics, starts to tell you that there are different perceptions of value around this. And guess what? It's five seconds in the middle of my show. I hate you. It's 25 seconds at the end of the show. I'm much more tolerant. I'm way more accepting of that relationship. So that's different. Yeah, it would probably be hard to predict before the experiment that that would have been the outcome. So that's great. We're actually getting to the end of our time. If people want to learn more about how to have that iterative process and how to get more in touch with their customers, is there a book, a website, or resources that you'd like to point out? Certainly. Well, attentive.com, A-P-P-T-E-N-T-I-V-E.com. Uh, that's our website. And we'll put that in the show notes. That, that site has our blog, which we put out two to three pieces a week. It has a lot of white papers from companies. It has an entire guide to collecting mobile customer feedback with step-by-step -step process. And it has some benchmarks. So when I talk about the percentages of people you hear from, we look at it across industries. So you can, you can think about where you are, for example, with your rock climbing app, you're in the lifestyle industry. And then you can, you can benchmark some of the expectations that you might have for customer feedback there. So we get pretty specific. And then in general, you know, I would say mind the product as a community. We've, we've seen a lot of value from that. And so we learn a lot and pay attention to them as well. And then, you know, there's always an active set of conversations. I pay attention to a lot of people on Twitter and I'm at our Gunguli myself. So always looking for people to, to converse with about product, whether it's, um, you know, one-to-one -one like this, which I enjoy a lot, or it's on Twitter talking about it. Awesome. Well, we'll uh, go join you over there and join the conversation then. Well, thank you very much for being with me. Thank you very much. And uh, have a good day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Mobile App Makers podcast. I'm Olivier Destrebeck. You can find more info on building mobile apps at mobileappmakers.chat.